1: Get 20% off plus free shipping and two free gifts this Father's Day when you purchase the new Perfect Package 3.0 kit with promo code Gators. Head over to manscaped.com and purchase yours today. Gators breakdown. The Gators fan podcast. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at Gator Dave underscore SEC. Joining me this week is co-host Will Miles. You can find him at readandreaction.com and on Twitter at Will Miles SEC. Will, one of my favorite episodes of the year coming up here when we look at the college football magazines. It's uh, A lot of people look at SEC media days and media days in general as kind of the kickoff for football, but... For me, it usually starts around when these college football preview magazines go, come out. So, God, that, that, that's when I, I know football is pretty, pretty close. And with everything we've dealt with this past spring, you know, it's um, it was good to uh, see these you know magazines on newsstands and uh, getting us into some sense of normalcy around the same time. Usually, that they come out a week or two delayed. Uh, They're to be understood understandable of course with everything going on but uh, plenty to talk about in in, in diving into these magazines and and how much these magazines and these publications Athlon and Lindy's in particular that's the ones we'll look at here and how much they like the Gators uh, for 2020. Uh, We got to hear from Dan Mullen a little bit today too so we'll get into that before we get into the preseason magazines Will but uh, man a lot of football to talk about.
0: Yeah, it's nice. I actually had my first uh my first baseball practice with my son cuz we've opened up. We had that today. So, it feels a little bit weird to be having your first baseball practice, which is usually right around spring, the spring game, and we're having that now in June, but uh yeah, it's an interesting time, right, to have the uh to have football coming and it's getting hot down there in Florida. I'm sure it's getting nice up here in Pennsylvania. So, excited to talk about football, excited to talk about the Gators and hopefully COVID will stay away long enough that we can that we can at least get the season in.
1: Yeah, and that's kind of what uh, you know. Dan Mullen hit on, too, of course, uh, when he met with the media on, on another Zoom press conference today. I put the whole press conference up on the Gators Breakdown YouTube channel. So if everybody wants to go check it out, um, I reached out a- after that, and they said they're more than fine to, to share it out there. So everybody, you can check out the whole – it's about 30 minutes of, of Dan Mullen. Even an interruption uh, in, in the middle of it, Dan Mullen said he had to go – talk to a recruit right in the middle of the uh, zoom conference. So uh, that was pretty, uh, pretty cool for uh, the, the coach to do that uh, coach there uh, to do that there, but uh, yeah, about 30 minutes uh, with, with the media and just a couple of takeaways here. Will. before we get to the preseason mag talk here, Uh mentioned not moving too fast uh, to begin with here and be cautious in how they approach the workouts with the players and, and keep the players safe in, in that regard. Quote, we've been very slowly working back up and, you know, I think a lot of it is due to, to do with the probably imbalance of the guys coming back. Uh, some of them probably did do everything they needed to do and, and stay in shape, but some guys probably weren't able to uh, you know, no thought of their own and, and being up to speed where a football team would normally be at this time. Uh, so you, you and I, we kind of joked around about it last week of, you know, having to be around Nick Savage for the first week and how, how much fun that probably wouldn't be. But you know, when, when you, Kind of take back and look at it in a more serious approach. It, this is going to take some time and not, you know, not only physically, but probably mentally as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think everybody's coming back. People have different um, tolerance levels and different levels of nervousness with with the virus. So obviously, you got to be sensitive to that sort of thing. Um, you have to be sensitive to the fact that they've each got parents that that are going to have different levels of of comfort with that as well. So you've got all sort of these new policies keeping people apart. I'm sure washing hands and hand sanitizer. And, you know, that last week I had read that they had moved the weight room into the indoor practice facility to make sure everybody had space. So obviously they're dealing with that. I think the other thing that you got to think about is, is not necessarily wearing people out from a physicality perspective. I think the things they probably need to watch out for are the things like the soft tissue injuries. Mm -hmm. So, you know, ACLs and Achilles and those sorts of things where the muscles aren't necessarily, um, in condition to be able to support those ligaments. So you don't want people cutting and, and, you know, doing all sorts of stuff that maybe they would do coming back initially in fall camp because they've been with the strength and conditioning program the entire off season. I think maybe those are the things where you eliminate some of the stuff that puts real stress on the joints. And, and at least for a little bit, you, you sort of, you know, lower the amount of, uh, what you don't want to see is non contact soft tissue injuries because you've rushed back to drills that require people to cut and, and move, right? And that's, so I think the weight training, they're going to go hard after. I think the conditioning, they're going to go very hard after. But I think when it comes to the actual making of a football move, yeah, that'll probably be much slower.
1: Yeah. And one more takeaway, Will, uh, there. Um, of course, it was asked of your players missing spring practice and how that may affect. And I don't think for any negative reason at all, just only because of the position that he plays. But, you know, Mullen singled out Anthony Richardson basically saying, hey, look, him missing a spring, you know, puts him behind the learning curve a bit. And and it makes total sense. You know, he was going to be an early enrollee, going to be an early enrollee the entire time. And, you know, to me, you know, once you even at the quarterback position, I I guess once you take part in a spring and then go through summer camp, fall camp, all, all, all that stuff, you know, it, to me that does give you a leg up you're not necessarily looked at as a, a as a true freshman when you go through spring uh, as when you should have been a, a Haskell senior or going to your prom and all that stuff uh, you know that gives you some experience and he lost out on that uh, and, and you know a lot of big-time quarterbacks and a lot of quarterbacks now are trying to get you know get to campus as soon as possible go through their first spring and you know i thought it was you know i thought it was noticeable that you know mullen singled out you know uh, his reputation for developing quarterbacks, and we know how good that is, and you know, saying you know it, it does hurt uh, a bit. You know, a true freshman missing his first spring when you know, it would have given him a, a bit more experience. So luckily, we he got the couple bowl practices that, that he was there uh, luckily that he got to him and you know Josh Braun both got to take part in before uh, Florida went down to Miami and practiced down there but the, the practices that they had on campus Anthony Richardson and, and a couple of other players were able to take part in so he got a little bit there uh, but you know I, I did find it interesting that Mullen kind of you know singled that a young quarterback missing the, this exp- valuable experience early on in his career.
0: Sure. I mean, obviously, you miss the spring practices, but he was he was there on campus until until March when everything Mm -hmm. closed down. So he has more time in the program than somebody maybe who's just coming in in the fall more comfort level with the coaches. He certainly had the playbook and maybe an understanding of what they were going to expect him to learn and to be able to give that. So he still has a leg up. I, I think the real issue is with Florida is that there's not any reps to go, go around, right? Yeah. They have six weeks to prepare for the season. And those six weeks are going to have to be used on getting Kyle Trask ready to play and making sure that Emory Jones is ready. If anything happens to Trask, because here's the reality. If Anthony Richardson is playing meaningful minutes for Florida at quarterback, there are real problems in terms of Mm -hmm. at the quarterback position i mean obviously you hope he's going to do well and you hope he'd be prepared but i don't think you go into the season thinking that you're going to need to utilize your third string quarterback extensively and and that may be a position that they're put in based on based on injuries but that's the only way he's going to get in the game for anything other than the four and then they're going to redshirt him right so Mm -hmm. um, he's gonna have spring practice next year that'll be his opportunity to get more reps he'll probably get some reps during the season like i mentioned against teams like eastern eastern washington and, and some other games where Florida gets way ahead and maybe you bring him in but you know to be honest Mullen was really pretty hesitant he spent a lot of time developing Trask last year um, in games when Florida was way ahead when I think mm-hmm. the fans expectation was Emory Jones was going to come in and get some reps and instead Trask was left in the game and so I, I don't know that we're going to see Anthony Richardson a lot during the season just because I think he's going to want to get Emory Jones the reps when Florida's up big if Trask is the starter and the, you know, maybe Richardson comes in to get reps if Emory Jones happens to win the job.
1: All right. All right. So that's the, the main takeaways I had uh, from Mullins press conference uh, today. Uh, like I said, coming up this episode, well, uh, a lot of preseason mag talk, Athlon Lindy's out. We'll hit those. My favorite part, uh, the anonymous coach talk there. And we get to kind of break down uh, what we think the coaches mean and all, all that stuff. And uh, always probably the, the best. That's uh, the first thing I, I turn to Will when I get these magazines. Is that's but that's my favorite part as well, and some interesting thoughts uh, as well uh, throughout uh, the, the uh, both uh, magazines previews here. A lot of interesting topics uh, that they uh, think about uh, for the Gators. So before we get there, remember you can find Gators breakdown. At news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown, you'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes as well as News 4 Jax coverage of the Gators. Please share, rate, and review the show. Subscribe on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform and follow follow Gators Breakdown on social media, on Twitter, and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. So here we go, Will. And man, I tell you what, uh, both of these preseason magazines and their rankings Think very highly of Florida uh, here. Athlon ranks the Gators sixth, and Lindy's ranks the Gators fifth. Both ahead of the Georgia Bulldogs. Will so that's the the, the big headline there. Both publications pick Florida ahead of Georgia. And to win the SEC East, Athlon uh, projects the Gators in the Orange Bowl, though, uh, versus North Carolina. So back-to-back Orange Bowl appearances are not picking the Gators in the playoffs here. So the only thing I'll basically read word from word uh, in, in these magazines are, well, these uh, were they what they said about Florida uh, in these rankings. So starting with Athlon here. The Gators are clearly moving forward and are certainly in a better position than either of their significant in-state rivals, and that's a big plus for Dan Mullen. He has made the Gators contenders again in the SEC East, and anyone interested in complaining about an 11-2 record should take it somewhere else. Still, Florida fans aren't looking for participation trophies. They're not even too charged up about an Orange Bowl win over Virginia. These folks want another head ball coach or another Urban Meyer. They want SEC championships, they want national championships, and as long as the folks to the north have won three straight in the cocktail party, there isn't going to be a lot of chuckling in Gainesville. The good news is that Mullen's third year at Florida, and he has been stockpiling talent the whole time he's been in Gainesville, this this year might, might have brought his best class yet. But the new kids aren't likely to make huge contributions right away, so it's up to quarterback Kyle Trask, who's done a pretty darn good job last year to get better. And some of those young receivers need to step up. Defensive lines need some youngsters to become standouts. Last sentence here, we were pretty close. The Gators are getting closer. They might even be ready this year. So, you know, very lofty ranking there for the Gators. Top 10, number six uh, for for Athlon. They were top 10 in in these preseason magazines uh, as well last year, but it was more of a program that is on the rise and – You know, won't challenge for the East, but you know, may give may give Georgia some trouble this year. They're picking Florida ahead of Georgia, you know, and and maybe even making more noise uh, for the twenty twenty season. Anything uh, from that quick summary from Athlon there, what that caught your ear?
0: Yeah, I mean, they they obviously talk about the recruiting and bringing in a higher level of athlete, and I think that's true compared to Jim McElwain. But I think when you compare it to Georgia and Alabama, and even LSU, obviously we've talked about that pretty extensively.
1: Yeah, um, I don't think I would necessarily label it a stockpiling talent. <laughs> that 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 to me is only reserved for a few programs out there.
0: Well, and then the other thing is they didn't mention the schedule, right? And I think one yep. of the big reasons why people look at Florida and think that, I I, mean, I think most people look at Florida and say this team may not be as good as last year's team overall, but it's not going to matter because the teams <laughs> that they're playing are are not going to be that good either, and and. You know when it doesn't look like south carolina is going to be any good vanderbilt's always terrible missouri's not going to be any good you got old miss on the schedule as your western opponent instead of auburn this year so that's maybe the thing that you know 11 and 2 would be the minimum really when you think about what this what this year needs to be right i mean that's that's losing the games that you hope you win against lsu and georgia and then Winning a bowl game. And, and that's what they did last year. And and so, you know, I think that's the minimum of what people's expectations are. So I know there it was a com-
1: probably, and would probably be a disappointment.
0: Well, and I know there was the comment about people being, yeah. you know, being upset with an 11 and 2 record. But let's be honest, the Florida fans have not set the expectations. Dan Mullen came to town saying, the you know the gator standard and the gator standard he was sitting there at the press conference today behind three national or in front of three national championship trophies he didn't put those up there on accident he didn't walk into into this season saying i expect to go undefeated on accident right he thinks he's going to have a good team he thinks he's got a shot at winning the championship and so it's going to be really interesting to see um, whether he can fulfill those expectations so um you know, the reality is, I think there's going to be a subset of the Gator faithful who are upset with a sixth-ranked finish, which is interesting. But again, if it's a sixth-ranked rank, sixth sixth-ranked finish with wins over Georgia, I, I think we'll deal with it.
1: Yeah, I can deal with that. <laughs> that's, the only, that's the only way I'll be happy with like a sixth ranking and not a playoff appearance if Georgia's that victory, if one of those victories. <laughs> so, uh, well, I'll go to Lindy's here too. Like I said, Gators ranked fifth in Lindy's, one spot ahead of uh, of Athlon there. And it kind of does go to your point. They do mention the schedule a bit here. So um, it says the good news, the team seemed to get better with Kyle Trask settling in a quarterback. Mullen still hasn't landed an elite quarterback, but his touch with Tim Tebow and Dak Prescott is already a legend. Look for a fast start, and here you go, Will. Five of the Gators' first six games are at home, including LSU. So not only an easier schedule, just when you look at the teams, but sets up very favorably (laughs) uh, at home. And Florida barely leaves the state of Florida this year when you turn around and look at it. We're playing Georgia and Jacksonville, playing Florida State, and all the home games this year. You you go to Knoxville, you go to Ole Miss, and uh, Nashville, Tennessee, I think, right? Yeah. So you don't leave the you don't leave the state of Florida all that much this year. Uh, set, sets up uh, pretty good. Uh, says here even with the loss of Lamichael Piran, the tailback position is deep and talented. Watch Damian Pierce and Malik Davis. Bad news Four of the top six pass catchers are gone. Cornerback C.J. Henderson turned pro. Uh, the defense further lost pass rushing stud Jonathan Grenard with nine and a half sacks and fellow NFL draft pick Jabar Zuniga. Wendy's call a win over Georgia is imperative the gators have lost three in a row and six of nine in the series loftier expectations will have to wait until the cocktails are consumed in Jacksonville on Halloween with Georgia retooling Florida has to grab a hold of the east at which time the sky becomes the limit so both publications will kind of leave it open to hey look if Florida the first of all this is kind of the year and we've we've talked about that yeah, endlessly. Both, of course, are are, are mentioning uh, how imperative the Georgia game is. Uh, of course, that when and look, we've probably talked more about Georgia in these last three months than we've had <laughs> combined on the podcast because you know Florida's that close, and that's just that one of those last hurdles uh, that Florida has to has to get over here. I mean, you know, both kind of talking about the sky's the limit uh, for for this team here uh, and the expectations. But yeah, there's just so much uh, of, of Georgia, like they said, Georgia retooling and this is a a chance for the Gators to grab a hold of the SEC East.
0: Well, maybe they talk about it in the Georgia preview. I don't know, but Georgia does not have a cupcake schedule this year, right? I mean, I think think they've got Alabama early and then they've got Auburn before they ever play Florida too. So this isn't – everybody's pointing to the Georgia game. I think winning that Georgia game means a lot for Mullen. I think it'll mean a lot for recruiting for Mullen. Um, I think it'll mean a lot for Georgia from the standpoint of their belief in Kirby Smart – but I think Florida can win the East and still lose the Georgia game if things fall mm-hmm. right. And, and that's, that's the reason that I think people w- people should pick Florida if they're going to pick Florida to win the East. It's that this isn't a year where Florida's ability to win the East hinges on that one game. If they can beat LSU, if they can win the road game at Old Miss, which is what I'm a little bit worried about just because of where it lies in the schedule – they could potentially lose to Georgia. Georgia will still have two SEC losses. I mean, Kirby showed last year that he's able to, to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory against South mm-hmm. Carolina. And, and, you know, there, there have been a couple of those on his on his resume thus far where his team has just come out flat and hasn't been able to beat a team that they really should have beaten like a drum. If he does that again, Alabama and Auburn are going to be tough outs for Georgia, especially if Newman doesn't play as well as as people expect. So I I guess um, everybody in the preview magazines is pointing to Georgia. We've spent an awful lot of time talking to Georgia, but I I think you need to pay attention to the rest of the season, too, because one slip up against Kentucky, against Ole Miss, against Tennessee, um, even against LSU makes the margin of error. Much less, right? One SEC loss, and you have to win that Georgia game. If you can run the schedule, run the gauntlet, and the only team you got to beat is Georgia, you still may be able to sneak in, and win the East, even if Georgia is able to beat
1: you. Yep, pretty interesting there. Pretty interesting there. Uh, while we're sitting here talking a lot about Florida, Georgia, and all that stuff, I'll go ahead and preview next week. We we'll have Braden Gall on uh, from Athlon sports he'll you know did a lot of the writing here in the athlon magazine he'll join us for a florida georgia debate show got a couple uh, georgia buddies that's going to uh, jump on jump on as well robert and uh uh, uh he's a georgia fan they got a podcast out there uh, he's gonna hop on as well and and, and you know gonna have a good florida georgia debate show so that's kind of preview uh for next week uh i think Will and I, we can give positives and negatives for Florida winning the, the, the SEC East, and I uh, expect them to do the same there. Uh, you know, Braden has pretty much said uh, we'll get into something too uh, later uh, with the SEC coaching rankings that will make some headlines uh, <laughs> as well uh, when you look at these, but uh, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun uh, having a Florida-Georgia debate type of show uh, next week. So, Will, let's go ahead and fast forward a bit here, and here we go. We'll go ahead and start uh, with the uh, my favorite parts uh, of these magazines. What opposing coaches? Po- uh, opposing, yeah, wow, tongue twister there. Opposing coaches have to say uh, about the Florida Gators and here in the Athlon, opposing coaches size up Florida. Quote: They have a chance to be really special this year, but there are a lot of questions. Where are they in terms of talent and firepower? Can they beat Georgia? You feel really good about what they've done in comparison to the rest of the East, but they're still behind one school. The quarterback change made them a completely different program. Uh, they're a better, more aggressive offense with Kyle Trask. The team speed is really good. It's as good as it ever was there. I'll, qu- I'll stop there, Will. I uh- Team speed, nah, still not close to <laughs> those 08, 09, uh, you know, Urban Meyer teams when Rainey, Demps and James all over the field, and and just overall defensive speed as well. I, I think, and I, uh, I mean, this is coming from a coach. You, may, you know, they see it that way. Uh, yeah, but no, yeah. It's not, and I don't ever, we disagree with what the coach says in, in, in these things. I don't ever want to make it sound like we know more than coaches or even when we question coaches, I don't want to make it sound like that. But no, we know this team's nowhere near as fast as those Urban Meyer teams. So uh, maybe, a, uh, maybe a little too friendly there uh, for, for that. But I did find it interesting, Will, that you know they – I don't know if we ever really worded it this way last year when we were looking at the offense, but a more aggressive – offense with Kyle Trask that, that one really caught my ear
0: yeah I mean I think part of that is a function of what they were forced to do so if you look at Mullen two years ago with Felipe Franks it was a very very run heavy offense and it even started out the season against Miami last year as a pretty run heavy yeah. offense and then when Trask came in against Kentucky they were down by what 11 points or something like that maybe even 16 and uh And at that point, they had to open it up, and they never really closed it up, right? It was the the running game could never get going. The right side of the offensive line struggled a ton, and Trask was forced to throw the ball. I I think the big difference is, and I I looked at this for something a couple of weeks ago, Trask got the ball out in something like 2.3 seconds Mm. on a regular basis, and Frank's got it out in 2.6 so the offense felt faster and felt crisper because it was, because the ball was coming out quicker. And I think once Mullen realized that he could trust Trask to get the ball out quickly, then he was able to trust him with some of the things, you know, some of the screen passes, bubble passes, things that were sort of extensions of the run game that allowed them to, to work around some of their deficiencies. So, um, you know, we'll see. I, I think this year, I think Trask throws the ball to the right guy. Um It's still yet to be seen whether they have the right guys at receiver to be able to catch the ball and get open so that Trask can hit them. But it's also yet to be seen. I think we all expect there's going to be an increase in the efficiency of the running game too. And so, you know, I, I suspect there's going to be a little bit more balance this year. It'll probably feel like Florida's not quite as explosive maybe early on because they're kind of finding their legs in terms of what they want to do and who they want to be. But I think by the time we get to that LSU game, you know they're they're going to be willing to ride with Trask because certainly last year they were able to do so.
1: Pick it up here. Uh, still in Athlon here. He goes, everyone wants to claim it, but it really is between them and LSU for DBU title. They have guys in that secondary who you can trust to cover in man, guys who can fly to the ball and then go play to run. Here we go, Will. Now here's the one that's going to catch everybody. Todd Grantham has a great third down package. He really mixes it up. <laughs> there we go. They can kill you there with the different pressure packages because of how talented they are at every position. What we saw last year was the recruiting and development is back up, so they don't have to be as exotic. They're shifting around less. They can play you in their base. That's when the defense can really get dangerous. They're still a step behind Georgia in recruiting. Dan Mullen is maybe the best project guy in recruiting. He can get more out of a three-star on offense than maybe anyone in the nation, but that's not Florida. You have to win the big battles for the five stars and flip them into NFL players. There's still a question of Dan, if Dan. Uh, there's still a question of Dan as a big game coach. He's a great play caller. He's a great scheme guy. He's a great developer. But where is the signature win? In many ways, Florida's 2020 comes down to Georgia. They could lose that game, win 10, and be a disappointment pretty much kind of what we've already said there, Will. But even coaches are mentioning how big this Georgia game is uh, for, for, for Dan Mullen uh, and the Gators. So kind of quickly summarize that one, Will. Um, I did put it out on Twitter with, because I knew the fan base would get a kick out of it with a fellow coach out there saying, you know, talking about Todd Grantham's great third down package. And look, we, we discussed it ad nauseum. You know, third and Grantham came from his days at Georgia. Yes, it was an issue for the last decade or so. It hasn't been that big of an issue overall. The biggest issue, and we've talked about it a lot, Will, especially when we talked earlier about how Florida could get better for 2020, third down defense has just got to be better in the big games, and it's more about the clutch performances. And and, and when the third downs happen, that makes it such an issue for Todd Grant and, and that third down defense.
0: Yeah, I would say that that third down comment probably didn't come from Jake Fromm or Joe Burrow, <laughs> but you know that that's the reality, right? Is that is that the experienced quarterbacks have been able to pick apart his defense, and I think a lot of that has to do with their ability to read what he's trying to do. Um, my my disappointment with Grantham last year, at least in the Georgia game, wasn't that he came out playing soft in terms of zone. I actually thought that was probably the right move based on the personnel. My disappointment is that when that clearly wasn't working, they didn't ever take any shots. Like there, there wasn't. It didn't feel like they took shots where they just said, "All right, we're bringing the house. We're going to leave the guys one on one on the backside, and we'll see what happens." Now, you know, you have a chance to win the game because you haven't given up a big play, and but you don't really have many opportunities to take shots because your offense can't get on the field. So uh, there's a little bit of a balance there. I, I think it still boils down to the experienced quarterbacks have. Repeatedly exploited his defense, and I think that bodes well for 2020. Because when you go down the whole list, I mean, you got Terry Wilson, who's coming off a knee injury, has some experience at Kentucky. You got Jarek Guarantano at Tennessee. I don't think anybody's really afraid of him. You got Miles Brennan at LSU. You know, Guarantano is
1: probably going to be the most experienced one out of the whole group.
0: Well, and I mean, if Tennessee gets off to a slow start, you'll even have Mara in the game at that point. So. Um, I mean, just go down the list. I mean, John Reese Plumley is maybe the guy who scares me the most just because he's the guy who you know, Grantham's teams have tended to struggle with with running quarterbacks, Um, you know, whether or not, you know, especially, you know, when you look at like that Kentucky game from a couple of years ago where, where Wilson lit him up and you just sort of go down the board. There, there's no guy who fits that Jake from Joe Burrow, Tua, um, you know, e- even... uh even Bentley Bentley at South Carolina was somebody that you maybe might've been a little bit afraid of and you know, he's not around either. So I I just don't think that there's anybody on the schedule. You go, yeah, that's the kind of guy who tends to get Grantham. So yeah, I think he's probably gonna have a pretty successful year.
1: And well, one thing I'll kind of, I'll kind of bounce away from this one a a bit saying, where's the signature win? I mean, Okay, so he hasn't beat Georgia in his first two years, but I think there's plenty of signature wins uh, for Dan Mullen in his first two seasons. I mean, from where he came from, and looking at his first two seasons, maybe you know, if you're looking at the Gator program overall, maybe not, but for him and these in his first two seasons, I think the LSU game in 2018 is a signature win. I think the Auburn game this past year is one. Actually, the Peach Bowl, Michigan, too. Uh, going back, you had to have that win uh, in Florida's title, losing to Michigan for one. Uh, and you know that was kind of a, a, a kind of a chance to solidify. I know Michigan didn't have their whole team and all that stuff, but with with that, with Michigan not playing their whole team, that was a game you couldn't lose. That was a game you needed to go out there and win, and, and showing that you're taking uh, the the next step there. So I kind of I kind of shy away from saying he doesn't have a, a signature win. Georgia would be the signature win, but that doesn't mean he doesn't have a signature win so far. I,
0: I mean, I sort of understand where that where that discussion point comes from. Um, you know, when you look at the wristband fiasco last year with Georgia, you look at some of the organizational things that we that we've heard around recruiting. Those sorts of things it make you look and go, okay, everything's not perfect. But then, but then he goes out and he schemes up something that just absolutely demolishes Michigan, and you go, okay, well, all right, we're headed in the right direction. I mean, I don't think you can argue with ten and three and eleven and two, right? the the issue is is you're going to you will find people who argue with 10 and 3 11 and 2 11 and 2 and you'll really find people who argue with 10 and 3 11 and 2 10 and 3 so um, you know the, this year is sort of a signature year for him. not just i mean everything lines up right The expectation I think most people had is that Emory Jones was going to be taking over this year for his first year as a starter. But now you've got a senior quarterback coming back who performed last year. I think everybody expected the offensive line to have some growing pains last year, and they certainly did. But now you bring in Reese at at right tackle or right guard and – those guys all have another year in the program. I think you look on the defensive side of the ball. They've gotten Brenton Cox coming in as a five-star guy. You've got Gravon Dexter coming in at defensive tackle. You've got Elam and and uh, and Marco Wilson on the outside. So, you know, the reality is he's got to. Everything sets up for 2020 to be a big deal for him, and and the signature one is Georgia. Let's be honest, you, you Urban Meyer was always really big on rivalry games. Steve Spurrier was really big on rivalry games. Um, beating Florida State right now is is good, but it is not a signature. Right, Florida State is struggling. Beating LSU would. would it was a great signature win two years ago, that's maybe the one that I'd think of and hanging with them last year, I think is much more impressive in retrospect when you look back (laughs) at what LSU was able to do. Um, But you know, I, I think it's legitimate with the, the criticism of Mullen coming into Florida was that he couldn't beat the big boys when he was at, when he was at Mississippi state. And I think we all looked at that and said, well, you know, it's hard to recruit at Mississippi state and he's going to have better players at Florida. So he needs to win those games. And I think he, ha- when you look at his his last five years, I think from 2011 to 2000, um, 2019, or 2016 to 2019, he's won 11 of 22 games against teams with more talent from a recruiting standpoint. So he's won 50% of them. The difference is he's had to play 22 of those games, yeah. and Georgia's only had to play two. So when you look at the when you look at the difference in schedules and the difference in talent, that's that's really where the difference lies. So um, yeah, I mean yes, the Michigan game was big. The Florida State game a couple years ago, where Chauncey Gardner Johnson was putting the flag at midfield, that was big. The LSU game two years ago was big. Um, certainly, you know even the Virginia game last year didn't feel that big. But it, it, the season feels different if you have a loss there. Like going from yeah. ten and three to eleven and two, I think makes everybody feel differently. Versus if it had been another ten and three season with a loss in the pool. so um, I don't think anybody's gonna. Well, I'm certainly not going to complain about what Mullen did the, his first two years. Um, but you know what? Part of the problem is when you go when you have <laughs> when you go twenty one and five. There's only one place you know. There's yep. only one place to go that's any better, and that's the expectation. And 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 that is the signature winning against Georgia, right? That that is the big rivalry right now. That's the one everybody's pointing to. And at some point, you have to win the game that you circled on the calendar. And that's the one that circled, and so he's gonna have to win it.
1: Well, I will say, you know, for 2020, that definitely is if if Georgia and LSU are the only two games that you can point to that would say those are signature wins. There's no other game on the schedule unless you know you get a surprise Tennessee team somehow and you, you beat them, but you won't know till later in the season how big that win was until you have to go back and look at you know, it would have to be a surprise team, but right now. Looking at the schedule, you would say the only sign- the only chance for signature wins on the schedule are, are Georgia and LSU, uh, especially Georgia, of course, here. So uh, Lindy's in the uh, anonymous report here is, quote, I think Florida has the potential to have a really, really good year. Dan Mullen is a little weird, but he has an uncanny ability to take the talent he's given and get them to play at a high level. He did it at Mississippi State, and he's got a lot more talent at Florida. I think he puts his guys in position to be successful. Now, these are probably different thoughts here, so uh, I'll start over here. I think he's got uh, a lot more talent at Florida. I think he puts his his guys in positions to be successful on offense. He does as good of the job as any one of calling plays to put his players in position to succeed. Quarterback Kyle Trask is a very talented young man who is doing what Dan Mullen asked him to do. Here we go, Will, and another Todd Grantham headline here. And this one really, really caught the eye of everybody. Quote, I also think they've got the best defensive coordinator, Todd Grantham, in the league. They're not where they need to be yet with defensive talent, but they're getting there. They're missing difference makers up front, potential first-round guys. They do not have pass rushers like they did a year ago, but maybe Grantham will generate it. That's a smart dude now. The best... Defensive coordinator in the league, will is what this coach says uh, of what Todd Gratham. Uh, You know, I, I, I'm a I'm a I'm a Grantham believer. I'm, I'm a big I'm a Grantham fan. And this year will probably prove a whole lot. Uh, of course, you know the Georgia game itself, uh, and just getting better in general. Having to replace some guys, um, you know, did they question uh, uh, up front? Uh, you know, last year I think we were kind of questioning up front uh, as well with Ja'Kai Polite leaving. We knew the potential Jabar Zuniga. We didn't know a whole lot about Jonathan Garnard and how he was going to show up. Then those guys show up and become, you know, if they're on when they're when they're on the field, uh, are guys who really really got after the quarterback. I'm, and we'll get into a, a bit later. I'm not too worried about the pass rush under Todd Grantham. Uh, that's just to me pretty much a given in his defense here. I don't know if I'd go as far as calling him the best defensive coordinator in the league, uh, especially if you want to count some of the head coaches that are kind of also defensive coordinators in the league as well. I think that's maybe a stretch, but I, I do like Todd Grantham. He gets paid like one of the best you know, defensive coordinators in the country. So he needs to be up there. Uh, and He needs to start producing in, in some of the bigger games here, um, especially in, in the third down defense there. But uh well, I mean, it starts off, you know, Dan Mullen's a little weird, but he has an uncanny ability here to to take the, t- the top level talent and grant them being the best defensive coordinator. A lot of uh, a lot of uh, interesting thoughts from opposing coaches.
0: I mean, let's be honest. Mullen is a little bit weird, right? Yeah. <laughs> but but weird people usually are awfully successful because they don't care what other people think. And, <laughs> and
1: weird does not mean bad? No,
0: I think. I mean, I mean, it he's a little bit weird, right? He's he's a strange cat, and that's fine. He's also really stubborn, and I think sometimes that drives people crazy. But he's been proven right on some of the quarterbacks that he's been stubborn with. Um, the the Grantham comment, like you said, the head coaches. I think Saban um, is the best defensive coordinator in the country, let alone in the SEC. And 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 the other thing is, is that when you look at when you evaluate college coaches, you have to evaluate them on their ability to develop players their ability to out scheme the opposition and then their ability to recruit the best players. And th- you take all three of those things together. So you have a defensive coordinator who can't scheme his way out of a paper bag, but brings in the best players. And that's still going to be a pretty successful defense. I think when you look at Grantham, I don't know that I've looked at it historically in in the past. I don't know that he adds a whole lot from a recruiting perspective. Like he's not a negative or anything like that, but he's not some guy who just comes in and all of a sudden five stars are flocking to his program. He see, you know, again, I think he, he comes off as a little bit abrasive, and and there are probably some players who and, and a little bit of a and There are probably some people who don't necessarily gravitate to that as recruits. So the, the recruiting aspect is part of when you're evaluating who's the best coach. Um, but again, I, the other thing is the SEC's kind of gone nuts the last few years when it comes to offense. So yeah. you know who is the I mean, if 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 you eliminate head coaches. Mm-hmm. But you presume that Saban and Smart are calling the defenses. Yep. I mean, is it Aranda, who's no longer at LSU? And you know, how do you like like who's the best guy when it, when it go, you know Matt Luke
1: was essentially the defensive coordinator at Ole Miss. So I probably would put Grantham there, but he to me he is clearly behind Saban and Smart.
0: Yeah, I mean, so it depends on how you rank it, I suppose. Yeah, and,
1: right. And, if he's and, sole, just the sole defensive coordinator, maybe that's what this coach is talking about. Then maybe yeah, maybe so.
0: Well, and and if you look schematically, I think you could make an argument that he's as effective as Smart. I just think that Smart has better players. Or has had better players the last two or three years. And and you know, you can you can scheme and scheme and scheme and scheme, but if a guy's not fast enough to cover Jerry Judy, that's a problem, right? <laughs> look, and, and if you've got a guy who who's fast, he can make up for the for the step that he takes in the wrong direction, if he's got special level talent. So, the defensive coordinator can only put his players in a position to succeed. I think for the most part, Grantham's been able to do that. I think the defense has been top twenty the last two years, especially when you look at at yards per play allowed, which I think is the best way to evaluate things. Um, so Grantham has made a difference on the defensive side of the ball. It's certainly better than watching a Randy Shannon defense. But, uh, you know, is he the best in the SEC? I don't, I don't think so. I don't think he's earned that title yet. I think when Florida turns in a performance where they are a top 10 defense, then maybe we start saying that. And let's be honest, if Florida's a top 10 defense, teams finishing better than sixth.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yep, Definitely. Definitely with uh, what we expect from this offense uh, as well. You get a top-ten defense, and uh, that sets the Gators up pretty good here. Uh, further in uh, Athlon's Gator look here, Will, uh, I'm not going to go through it all, but they have this little section called Outside the Huddle. Uh, one one of them that caught my, caught my eye here, third-year blues, uh, and it says year three has not been kind to Florida coaches. Even Steve Spurrier and Urban Meyer suffered a dip during their third year, winning nine games following SEC title seasons. For other Gator coaches, the third season has been mostly costly. Ron Zook and McIlwain were fired, while Will Muschamp's four-and-eight season in 2013 laid the groundwork for his 2014 ouster. Dan Mullen's third team appears poised for big things, but will have to overcome recent history. And, uh pretty crazy trend there you know when you go back and think about it then you you I've discussed you know uh, plenty of times the fall off from the 2016 to the 2017 uh, of course you had Tebow and Harvin and in that offense you know going on to win the Heisman Trophy and, and setting records uh, but the defense fell off and, and Florida you know loses to, to Michigan in a bowl game and you know, then they mentioned Spurrier's fall uh, as well, there, well in his third year and, you know a lot of it goes to what happened you do what what do you do in recruiting early in your tenure and, and the transition year and, and guys leaving the program because, you know, you weren't their original coach. So so much happens to the roster uh, there, but hey, look, this is probably one place where we look at maybe this is one area the the transfer portal also helps is because you, you, now you have an easier way uh, of guys who left the program and not you know we didn't see a whole exodus of players between the transition of McIlwain and Mullen a lot of guys did kind of stick around guys who were on the roster we didn't see a whole lot of uh, of guys just get up and leave uh, they wanted to be you know part of uh, of what Florida and Dan Mullen was doing there but you know, there will be something interesting to watch and, and given the history of what Athlon shares here of third year head coaches at Florida
0: yeah I mean I think I think it it, it happened for different reasons, right? I mean, the 2016 wins the national championship. None of the young guys got any time. Yep. <laughs> so they mm-hmm. were busy winning the national championship. So the next year you've got – I think it was Joe Hayden starting on the outside for the first time. You've got a lot of guys sort of breaking in for the first time on defense, especially the defensive side of the ball. And, yeah, Tebow went nuts and wins the Heisman Trophy, but the defense couldn't stop anybody, particularly that bowl game against Michigan. It just felt like they couldn't stop anybody. It felt a lot like the LSU game last year, actually. And um, so there, so that's the reason for that is really the youth. And Florida doesn't have that excuse this year because there are not going to be a ton of true freshmen who are going to, or even redshirt freshmen for that matter, who are going to be relied on heavily, I don't think. There's nobody that we're sitting there going, oh, that guy has to be good. Whereas, you know, you said, oh, Joe Hayden, he's going to have to play well. And, and and you know, we didn't necessarily see that, at least not. I mean, he showed a lot of promise, but but certainly got burned from time to time as well. I think you know, you look at the Must Champ and Must Champ actually lasted four. So you said three, but I think so well, that's, But that,
1: that's three. what they said it laid the groundwork for yeah. him. Well oh, we were all we were
0: all ready to get rid yeah. of him after year three. That's yeah. that's certainly <laughs> for sure. But um you know, again I think that that is a recruiting issue. I mean he comes in and he doesn't have enough offensive linemen, everything's off balance, he can only get defensive recruits to come in, the offense is just putrid and by year in the, three. In the, in
1: the, Yeah, in the preseason, the injury laden preseason
0: yeah, and I mean, you know, by year three, he was what on his third offensive coordinator, and 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 all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think there were multiple reasons to believe that there were going to be issues there. I think McIlwain, for a lot of different reasons, recruiting being one of them, but also just the fact that he had the credit card nine and all that stuff heading into the season, and and you know the the one the one score losses to him and LSU sort of you know fish, snowballed into stuff.
1: Fishing trips, uh,
0: fishing trips, sharks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You know, death threats, all that sort of stuff. And and then again, I think you look at, I, I think you look at Mullen and those excuses are not necessarily there. So his transition class was 14th when you looked at it nationally. That's not where Florida needs to be, but it's not terrible. And it's certainly the level of talent that he's been bringing in kind of since. He hasn't been bringing in a whole lot better recruiting classes than that. You look at the, influx of people from that 2018 class who are going to contribute this year. I mean, Emory Jones is going to contribute. Jacob Copeland's going to contribute. You've got Trey Dean, Amari Burney, Kyle Pitts. Like these are guys who have, a, who have the potential to be all SEC, especially Pitts. But if things fall right, you know, if something happens to Trask, Emory Jones has an opportunity to do that. Um, Jacob Copeland could do that if he steps up. So there's a lot of guys who are going to be highly counted on from that 2018 class. And so you have, like you said, you haven't seen a ton an Exodus, or at least you've seen mold hit on guys from that twenty eighteen class. And then you mentioned the transfers, and, and I think that's a big deal too. Being able to fill your holes, they were able to do that last year with Grenard. They're going to try to fill Grenard's hole with Brenton Cox. You've got Lingard who got approved to come in. Justin Shorter, if he if he winds up getting approved to come in and play this year, then you've got an extra weapon at receiver. So being able to bring in those guys, I think, makes a difference. Um, there are holes, though, right? There are holes. Mm-hmm. Who's going to replace David Reese at linebacker? That's, that's, that's a key question. Are, are Ventrell Miller and James Houston going to be able to do that? You know, what's gonna happen to Trey Dean? Is he gonna move back to safety? What do you do with the guys who are already at safety? So there's a lot of questions that are gonna have to be resolved, but I think there are answers or there are at least multiple things Florida can test. And those are the things they've really been missing in year three. And what most coaches are missing in year three is that depth. You know, if you decide you're going to put Joe Hayden on the outside, it doesn't work out. Oh, all right, we're going to have some growing pains. If you decide, you know, last year they decided to put trade in at star and that didn't work out real well. And so there were some growing pains as they did that. But they had some options, right? Being able to move Marco Wilson inside, having Kyrie Elam on the outside. They're going to have those options again this year with Jadon Hill and Chester Kembro having gotten experience last year. And then Jahari Rogers and some other guys that are coming in as true freshmen this year as well. So I, I think Florida's positioned better in 2020. To be able to withstand that third year drop, I, I think um, there there's an opportunity though for a pretty pretty significant mass exodus after this year, which is why 2020 is so important.
1: Yeah, both uh, magazines here will do list uh, Kyer Elam as the emerging rising star there, so no surprise there uh, from what we saw him from him last year, of course in the bowl game making that game sealing interception versus Virginia. Big time, big time player there. who will be on the field a whole lot more uh, this year, of course. And uh, I think Gator fans are pretty excited uh, to see him there. Numbers to know from Athlon before we uh, kind of wrap up this section of it, before we go into some particulars uh, for, for the players. Numbers to know. 8.96. Florida's defense recorded 49 sacks as a unit in 2019. Uh, and opponents attempted 390 passes against the Gators. As a result, Florida averaged one sack every 8.96 pass plays. The best sack rate in the SEC and second best in the country, only behind Ohio State. One number, Another number to know: 20.89%. Tackles for loss, forced fumbles, and passes defense are considered havoc plays, and havoc rate is the percentage of total plays in which a defense creates havoc. Florida produced a 20.89% havoc rate in 2019, which was also the highest mark in the SEC and sixth best in the country. So, well, I mean, two numbers to know right there, all kind of shifted toward the defense. And with all the praise that we just heard opposing coaches give uh, Todd Grantham, you know, part of it is because, you know, sack it, the sack rate, the havoc rate, and, and creating plenty of disruption for an offense. Uh, it's just, you know, we don't know how many how many other ways and more times we can say it. You know, we just gotta 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 see it to, in the bigger games here. But you know, the the base of Todd Grantham, we know what we're getting. You're gonna get a defense that flies. You're gonna you're gonna get a defense that attacks, and he's gonna find ways to do it. This year, he's just gonna have to do it. We're finding ways to replace Jabbar Zuniga and Jonathan Grenard.
0: Yeah, you know, I mean, it, it's a team that's lived by the big play and died by the big play, right? So yeah. those, those sacks really put Florida in a position to generate turnovers, get good field position, put their offense in a position to succeed. But the two plays that I remember from last season are the blown coverage against Lawrence Cager mm-hmm. and Jamar Chase making <laughs> making CJ Henderson look slow on the on the dagger from LSU. And
1: and and before you go further, Will, you know, I just said sacks and havoc rate when. When have we seen sacks, and when has we and when have we seen havoc versus Georgia? We haven't.
0: Well, we didn't see it against LSU last year. either, no, right. right. We saw it two years against LSU and yeah. were pretty pedestrian. But but last year they weren't able to do that. And, and look, I mean, Grantham is able to scheme guys to be able to get to be able to get pass rush from time to time. But at some point, your guys have to win one on one battles, and in those games against. Georgia's and LSU's and Alabama's they're just time for you're gonna have to win some one on one battles and you know that's the exciting part about having somebody like Cox that's the exciting part about potentially Tyron Hopper getting time at linebacker Derek Wingo coming in this year. Gravon Dexter at defensive tackle, especially if you know if he can occupy a double team and free up the guys on the outside. Well, now all of a sudden you don't have to come up with all sorts of exotic blitz packages to get pressure, and it allows you to do some things on the backside of the defense where maybe you disguise some coverages because those guys aren't aren't sort of a step slow because they're wondering who they're going to have to cover for up front. So it's all sort of a you know it's a cascading thing the pressure certainly leads to turnovers the turnovers lead to lead to good field position for the offense and the offense last year was able to convert but like you said the um the timing of the sacks I mean I think you had 10 against Miami to start the year obviously every one of those 10 was important because they barely got out of that game
1: but Eight, eight versus Florida State so 18 of your 49 sacks are in those two games
0: yeah. and you know third down and whatever they couldn't get any pressure on from and and again that's that's the difference and and I think we said this about Felipe Franks 2 years ago uh, coming into last year's season is that Franks had some pretty high highs and some really low lows in 2018 and and I wasn't necessarily looking for him to take a step forward where his highs were that much higher I was just looking for him to be a little bit more even and I think you could say the same thing about the defense is you know when they were getting to the quarterback the defense looked like it was unstoppable when they weren't getting the quarterback they couldn't stop anybody and there were multiple there were there were even games like they they made uh, I can't remember his name but the Kentucky backup quarterback before they brought in Bowden um, you know they made him look like a star in the first
1: Sa- half. Sawyer Smith. Yeah, I think that's yeah, right. It's I Sa- think that's right. Yeah, <laughs>
0: they made they made him look like a star. and the next week, he got booted. and They wouldn't let him play anymore. Because, yeah. I mean, granted, he hurt his wrist in the game against. Yeah. yeah. But but still, you know, they made that guy look like a star for a half. There were there were multiple times during the year where they struggled to get off the field for a quarter, for a half, and then there would be a quarter where just the the offense went backwards. And, again, the only time that didn't happen was against Georgia and LSU, and lo and behold, those are the two games they lost.
1: Yep, 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 yep. So there was a good, clear look there at uh, Athlon and Lindy's and, and their preview specifically of Florida. We'll get into some more player-specific, player uh, you know, all-American teams, all SEC teams here. Uh, Before we do, but before we get there, support for today's episode, of course, comes from the guys at Manscaped. Manscaped has the right tools to get the job done quickly and safely and hygienically. Father's Day is just around the corner and you probably need a gift for your hairy dad. Get him and yourself the Manscaped Perfect Package. Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below the waist grooming and hygiene. Manscaped is forever changing the game, the grooming game the perfect package 3.0 essentials kit the perfect package perfect package 3.0 kit comes with a new and improved lawnmower 3.0 waterproof cordless body trimmer and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine this third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to prevent manscaping accidents nick free shaving thanks to manscapes advanced skin safe technology And of course, let's not forget about the Crop Preserver and Anti-Chafing Ball Deodorant and Moisturizer. When you purchase the new Perfect Package 3.0 kit at Manscaped.com, you get the biggest bang for your buck. Subscribers get a new replacement, blade, refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months, making sure your trimmer always stays fresh and clean for a limited time. Subscribers get not one, but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value. And the patented, high-performance, anti chafing Manscaped boxer briefs. Just a few days left until Father's Day, so go out there, and get 20% off plus free shipping with the code Gators at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code GATERS at Manscaped.com. So, Will, uh, not a lot of high-end um Look for the Gators if you want to kind of look at the how these two publications look at All-American teams. Athlon, uh, All-American team, lists Kyle Pitts as the third team tied in and the only Gator on their All-American list. And Lindy's, All-American team, lists Kyle Pitts as a second team All-American. So if you go and look at the nation's best players and how they you know, kind of just make these all-American teams and, and put them together. The only Gator on the list is Kyle Pitts. So no, no surprise Kyle Pitts is on the list. Maybe a surprise that he's only third team on on the Athlon and second team uh, on Lindy's, but no surprise that it is Kyle Pitts. If you if you were going to choose one Gator to be, if you if you're only going to choose one, if you, if you said there was only one Gator on an all-American list, Kyle Pitts was going to be that player.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think Pitts is the guy who was the big weapon last year and, you know, really sort of dominated the first half against LSU. And and beyond just dominating that first half, LSU came out with a game plan in the second half to stop him. And all of a sudden, Van Jefferson was open. And a lot of that was was I mean, obviously, Jefferson was running good routes but Pitts was the reason that he was open because he was drawing so much attention. That's really the reason I think maybe he's not first team, first team all American is because he's going to draw so much attention from opposing defenses, especially early on that it's likely going to dictate that Trask goes elsewhere in his progressions. Like Trask has proven that he's not going to force the ball into a guy who's double teamed, especially if that double team is opening up something someplace else. So the guy I would look for and the guy I'm a little bit surprised hasn't gotten a little bit more run is Trevon Grimes. I mean, he was somebody I was mm-hmm. high on coming into last year, and just they basically made everybody share time um, at, at wide receiver, but Grimes still was able to get 33 catches last year, averaged almost 15 yards per catch. And a lot of that was was sort of bubble, spree- bubble screens and things like that. He was really sort of left out there to block oftentimes. I think Grimes is going to see the ball a lot more this year, in particular, because people are going to be scheming against Kyle Pitts and you're not going to necessarily have LaMichael Piran coming out of the backfield to get the, to get the 40 catches that he had last year either. So I, I'd look for Grimes maybe to be the guy that, uh, that steps up. He's got, certainly got the pedigree, has shown a level of productivity that the other receivers haven't shown yet. And, and so he's maybe the guy I'd look to benefit if, in fact, Pitts ends up being third-team All-American. It'll be because, uh, be because maybe Florida has to go someplace else because he's the focus.
1: All right. Yep. And then try to, you know, kind of look at here and somewhere uh, some of the other units right? So, you know, quarterback unit and and certain players uh, as well. I mean, and look and you go look at these all American lists, you know, we could certainly see players like Kyle Trask and, and Kyer Elam or even pass rushers like Brenton Cox, Jeremiah Moon, you know, on, on these postseason all American lists and you know, especially pass rushers for, for Todd Grantham, you know, you can kinda just maybe pick one and you may be right of, of where those guys kind of show up uh from what we've seen from pass rushers in this defense the last couple of years but you know with quarterbacks trevor lawrence justin fields out there you know trask is he, of course he's gonna be behind the, those guys in any preseason list uh there but you know it's kind of open season after those two of where you want to go with quarterbacks there's a lot of sam ellinger and ian book love fest over kyle trask that i'd Maybe Sam Ellinger because the year before last, you know, I, he didn't really live up to it last year to me. But the whole Ian book at Notre Dame Love Fest, I I don't get that one. Uh, he's pedestrian as they get there. I, I don't I don't get that one. Will um, the track record's longer? Maybe that's why you put them, but I, I don't know. Um, but you know, Athlon lists Florida as having the twelfth best quarterback unit. Uh, There, Georgia comes in at 11, uh, and that's, of course, with Jamie Newman and no JT Daniels, of course. Uh, Their publication was out before then, and plus, we don't even know if he'll be eligible uh, this coming up season. I don't know. When they say best quarterback unit, they don't really explain it all too much, but they do list quarterback depth as as far as the other teams go. Uh, they list you know one through five, and they kind of go through the whole depth chart. So I'm assuming they're counting Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson uh, in this list too. But you know, Florida only comes in at 12, Georgia 11, and then uh, Lindy's they do list Kyle Trask as the 14th top quarterback in the country. But as I said, he's behind other quarterbacks like Ian Book and and uh, Sam Ellinger and, and quarterbacks like that.
0: All right, got to take a little bit of umbrage here with having Florida's quarterback unit behind Georgia. Yeah. Because Georgia has Carson Beck and Jamie Newman. And mm-hmm. before this publication, JT Daniels wasn't on there. But even with JT Daniels, mm-hmm. you're looking at a guy who was relatively pedestrian at USC. You've got a recruit who sort of fell off last year in his senior year to, to the point where, you know, somebody that people thought was going to push for a fifth star and wound up, you know, barely holding on to the four-star ranking. And then you got Jamie Newman, a guy who's coming over from Wake Forest, and you know I read, wrote an article about Newman a couple of weeks ago. When you look at the film, he's got some he's got some skills, but he's also got some limitations. And I think George is going to experience that this year. Trask and Emory Jones are kind of, you know, I mean, I think Mullen even said during his press conference today he expects Emory Jones to play quite a bit. So you're going to get more out of those two guys than George is going to get out of their two guys and their top two guys. And I don't know, I don't I don't see that. I I think the Newman hype is really. I think, something that comes out of people trusting Georgia's defense. I think if Georgia wins, it's going to be because their defense is is outstanding. I don't know that it's necessarily going to be because of their offense. And, you know, Georgia's also replacing a couple of offensive linemen who mm-hmm. went really, really high in the draft. And if you looked at it last year, their passing game got worse under Fromm, but their running game wasn't all that great either. And, um, you know, so I think there are some opportunities here for it's not a sure thing that george's offense gets better and it's not a sure thing even if jamie newman turns out to be a pretty good quarterback it's not a sure thing that the george's offense is going to get a lot better i think there's a lot more certainty on the florida side I, i'm with you i don't get the sam ellinger or the ian book talk um it, when ellinger wins 10 games maybe <laughs> maybe <laughs> I three years ago he did but you know texas just sort of fell off a cliff last year and you know we wouldn't, we wouldn't put a quarterback at top 10 if he allowed his team to go seven and five or eight and eight and four or whatever they did last year um, in the SEC. And they're not even in the SEC, right? They, they're in the, they're in the big 12. So I think that's, that's a, a tick mark against him. The Notre Dame stuff is just because if Notre Dame wins out or if Notre Dame goes, you know, 11 and one, they're going to be in the playoff conversation just because of the, the nature of college football. But, um, and book two years ago, again, had a very good season, but again, I think last year was pretty pedestrian. So, yeah, I, I think, I think one of the things is is that it was very popular coming out sort of into the spring for people to say, hey, Florida is a playoff dark horse. Trask can really step forward. And as people have gotten closer and closer to the season, that's become less popular because it's already been the the hot take that's out there. So they haven't necessarily kept that hot take up. I I think the running game is going to be a lot better. I think that's going to open up some things for Trask. I don't think he's going to be a Heisman Trophy candidate. I don't think that that's, that's what we're looking at. But as far as being a really efficient player, I think the Florida quarterback room is is ahead of Georgia, and I don't think it's particularly close.
1: All right. All right. Uh, well, I think we're going to have to break up this episode a bit, too, with, all, with, with a lot of the the uh, singling out players and, and position groups uh, that we were going to do, because there's something I definitely want to get in before we have our Georgia debate episode next week uh, there. So uh, you know, some things that we're planning on for this episode, you know, this episode always goes long, uh, so I probably should have you know, predicted that this was uh, going, probably going to be a two-parter. So, yeah, we'll definitely uh, uh, break it up here. But for that quarterback list, Will, um, Lindy's, uh, where they had Kyle Trask ranked 14th. Justin Fields, one. Trevor Lawrence, two. Sam Ellinger, three. Sam Howell, North Carolina quarterback at four. Derek Keene, Miami quarterback at five. Uh, I like him. He's not the fifth best quarterback in college football. I'm sorry, um, Kadon Slovis, uh, of course, uh, USC, Ian Book at seven, Jamie Newman at eight, Tanner Morgan from Minnesota at nine, Brock Purdy, Iowa State, 10, Sean Clifford, Penn State, 11, Shane Bushell, SMU at 12, Brady White, Memphis, 13, and Kyle Trask at 14, Kellen Mond, 15 there. So they do have Kyle Trask, uh, in front of Kellen Mond, but, um, if, uh, yeah, so Jamie Newman, the only SEC quarterback in front of Kyle Trask. So, I mean, like I said, behind Fields and Lawrence, you really almost can kind of shake them up <laughs> and then come up with any kind of order you want to there. But, um, yeah, uh, some of them I don't think – some of them are uh, a bit too high, but I guess, yeah. Yeah, I think
0: cool. when you look at Ellinger, his stats are pretty similar to Trask last year. 32 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, 8.1 yards per attempt. That's and
1: played tough. and played in more games.
0: And, yeah, played in 13 games. But, um, you know, Derek King, I have a hard time getting behind. Obviously he played ahead of Trask in high school, had a couple of good years at Houston, but uh, I, I really hesitate to believe that playing four games and then redshirting as a senior is the, uh, um, so that you can transfer. There's a leadership component to being a quarterback and that's a difficult one for me to swallow. I think he have, has every right to do it. I'm actually happy that players are starting to push on the power that they have, but it does make me wonder, um, you know, about about his ability to, to take control of the program and what's going to happen at Miami when things get difficult, right? Um, so, yeah, like like you said, I mean, <laughs> end of the year, we're going to look back at this and say, ah eh, nobody knew what they were talking about anyway. <laughs> and, and, and just like last year, right? I mean, who who would have thought coming yep. out of last year, we would have said Florida found their quarterback. And then who would have thought that three weeks into the offseason, we would have been in a bitter, intergator fight about whether Emory Jones or Kyle needs to start. <laughs> so, <laughs> You know, nobody knows anything. And that's one of the beauties of, of college football is you, you think you do, you spend all off season previewing. And at the end of the day, you end up with an injury like you did last year to Felipe Franks, or you end up with, you know, Kyle Pitts all of a sudden takes a next step and is a first team All-American and Trask is just hitting him with everything, you know, and it, and it makes defenses bend in a way that you didn't expect. Or maybe Florida's offensive line is way better. And all of a sudden, Damian Pierce is putting up a, you know, 1600 yard season. And it just changes the entire complexion. of. So that's one of the great things about college football. I mean, heck, you look at North Carolina last year with Sam Howell. Um, I think people were sort of surprised when he was named the starting quarterback coming right out of the gate. And he had an excellent season. So I can see why people will think he will progress. But this is the other thing is that progression, especially at quarterback, but even within teams, is rarely linear. And so the the idea that Trask is going to make this giant leap is probably out of the realm of possibilities, but I think we're all pretty confident he's not going to take a significant step back. I think when you look at a guy like Ellinger, you know, there is a track record for him where you look at it and say, Hey, he's been kind of inconsistent. I can see him potentially taking a step back. Maybe he's capped out. Same with Ian book. Um, That's the one thing that scares me about Jamie Newman is I do think that um, if he can put together some of the skills that he has, he's got some real skills. Um, I just doubt whether he's going to be able to do that, but Um, It's not Newman is not a guy who's got a weak arm and is maximizing his ability. He's got a cannon, and if he can put it together, then Georgia could be pretty scary. But, um, you know, again, we won't know that until we see him play against Alabama and Auburn and Florida.
1: All right, so let's go, Will. So something that's going to, you know, it has garnered a lot of headlines from Athlon's side already, uh, and it definitely will (laughs) when we bring it up. we'll, We'll talk about it here. We'll talk about it when we have Braden Gall on next week. Um, as well, like I said, we'll get into a lot, a lot more of the uh, all SEC team and uh, all American team. Uh, they're kind of the top end players that you know, not many Gators up there, uh, in, in the top end of the players, uh, as far as national players go. But we'll Athlon ranks the SEC coaches here, and number one is no surprise, Nick Saban. Uh, mm-hmm. of course, he's going to be number one, yeah, <laughs> and uh, the, until's, Somebody consistently knocks him down. Uh, he's going to stay number one until he till he retires. Number two is one, Dan Mullen will. Dan Mullen from Athlon has him. They have Dan Mullen as the number two coach in the SEC, ahead of Kirby Smart, Ed Orgeron, and Jimbo Fisher to round out the top five. They might leach at number six already as well. Uh, so that kind of, you know, and – Proved it at Washington State uh, a little bit, and uh, bringing that program, of course, to Texas takes state days as well. You know, I like to see how how it translates to uh, the SEC. But here's what it's, here's what they say about Dan Mullen uh, being number two. Mullen is one of the best coaches in the nation at maximizing his roster. Mississippi State won one of the toughest jobs in the SEC, went 69-46 with eight bowl trips from twenty uh, from two thousand nine to seventeen under Mullen, and in just two years at Florida, Mullen has returned. Uh, the program to national prominence. The Gators won 10 games in Mullen's debut in 2018 and up the win total by one. Last season, under Mullen, Florida is 21 and 5 overall, has finished in the top 10 nationally, back to back years, and has two new year six bowl victories. Yay, good. They have Mullen number two. I can't put him number two until he beats Kirby Smart. <laughs> I mean, that, that's just what it comes down to. I mean, his last year at Mississippi State got. You know, waxed by Georgia uh, and and Kirby Smart there uh, in, in that year, and in the last two years. It look, it's look closer on the scoreboard than it really is. Florida's been scrappy in those games. Georgia's been in control for the game. You know, didn't really have you, you thought it would take, you know, some kind of act uh for, for Florida to, to win those games uh versus Georgia. A lot of people kind of jumping on the uh Florida bandwagon heading into those games uh and picking Florida. Uh but you know, until 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 Mullen beats Kirby, uh, Kirby's gotta be that number two for me. Uh Ed O just won a national championship. You know, you can you can definitely have him there in the top five. Um, uh, Jimbo at number five too, maybe, um, yeah, he's won a national title at FSU. Has Texas A&M really taken off any more than when Kevin Sumlin was there in these last two years? I mean, everybody keeps pointing at, um, Texas A&M and Jimbo, uh, there, but, uh, I haven't seen the step yet. They're recruiting well. We'll see where that goes, but, well, I mean... And we'll like I said, we'll get into it more next week. But kind of surprised Mullen's number two behind Saban and in front of Smart.
0: I'm surprised he's number two. I'm surprised he's not behind Orgeron. Yeah. I, I think Orgeron's done an outstanding job at LSU, including a national championship. And you know, the criticism of him at Ole Miss was that he was was that he was stuck in his ways and wouldn't change. And all of a sudden, he brings in Joe Brady and Joe Burrow, and the team takes off. And all of a sudden, they win a national championship with an offense that can't be stopped. And You know, I I think um, so the way I like to evaluate coaches is I like to look at their national recruiting ranking and then I like to look at their FPI rating from ESPN because I think FPI, it's not perfect, but over a few years really starts to tell you a picture of what's going on. And when you look at Georgia before, so from 2011 to 2015, Mark Richt had recruiting classes that averaged 8.4 and his FPI was 12.0. Kirby Smart has had recruiting classes at 3.0, and his FPI in his four years is 13. Now, granted, that includes the 2016 season, but he has finishes of third, third, and fifth in FBI. Rick had finishes of fourth and fifth. So the results on the field at Georgia are really about the same as the results that they were getting under Mark Richt. They just have more hope because the recruiting is better. When you look at Dan Mullen, before he came to Florida the Gators were recruiting, their average national recruiting ranking from 2011 to 17 was 10. Their FPI was 28.1. So Muschamp and McIlwain couldn't even field a top 25 team on average over the course of those years, which obviously we all live through and, and understand that's true. Mullins come in, he's, he's had recruiting rankings of 12 and a half and then FPI of 10 um, in 18 and 19. So He's been living up to his recruiting ranking. Kirby Smart hasn't. And, you know, you mentioned Orgeron. He's at 7.3 for his recruiting ranking, 10 for his FPI. And that's exactly what Les Miles did before that. So I think Orgeron is a very good coach. I don't think anybody's ever going to look back and call him Saban. But the guy's got a national championship and an SEC championship on his resume, which, and he didn't choke away the national championship like Kirby Smart did. So I think you got to put him at a smart – and I think there are reasons to put Dan Mullen in front of Kirby Smart. I mean, you know, you look at – I mentioned it earlier, but if you look at 2016 to 2019 where Mullen spent two of those years at Mississippi State, Mullen's gone – or I'm sorry, Smart's gone 0 for 2 on t- – against more talented teams. Mullen's gone 11 for 22 in those games, so 50%. And typically coaches who have talent that Florida has win those games about 34% of the time. So he's winning games against more talented teams more often than you would expect. But the thing that's really surprising is if you look at Georgia and you look at Mullen over those time spans from 2016 to 2019, is against top 25 talent, Georgia's 17 and 27. And against top 25 talent, Florida's 17 and 27. So you think about that, Florida played t- or Florida and Mississippi State have played 22 games against more talented teams, which means only five times has Mullen played top 25 teams that weren't more talented than his, and he's won 17 games. Smart has played 25 teams that are less talented than him in the top 25, and he's only won 17. And he's only won 17 of those games. So um, I think that does indicate that the in-game coaching and the development um, really does make a difference. Um, but obviously you got to win the game against smart because nobody gives you, nobody gives you a trophy for winning a statistical battle. At some point you got to win the game on the field.
1: Yep. 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 And like I said, we'll get into that even more. We'll have our Florida Georgia debate show. it will be uh, pretty fun, pretty fun. There uh, a lot to, uh, a lot to digest. Uh, there. So yeah, as I said, there's plenty more to get into uh, with with these college football magazines and the unit rankings. Where you know Florida's quarterbacks, running backs, offensive line, and you know defensive line, linebackers, DB, all that ranks um we'll get into all that they kind of compare it to last year too i think that's uh, a pretty interesting part in in comparing how many players were on the all sec last year where they were um and and all that so plenty plenty more to to get in that next year we'll i'll i'll know we will break this down into two episodes
0: (laughs) (laughs) make make a note it's it's funny that in a year where you're looking for content yeah the you know where, where like there hasn't been any sports that we didn't just decide to do this uh you know, and, and spread it into two, but Hey, you know, we, I think we both anticipate we'll be less wordy than we end up being for this. So we all have thoughts. It's good. I think, I think people appreciate the extra episode. Hopefully they do.
1: Yeah. 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 And they, like I said, these come out a little bit later than they normally did. So we would have had plenty of time. Uh, so uh, now it's kind of all wrapped around as players are coming back on campus and all, all that gets to SC media days, uh, by the way, which will be virtual. Uh, So we did get that announcement last week. So that gummit, Will, no trip to Atlanta and, and, and hanging out there all virtual for SEC Media Days this year.
0: Well, I'll have to crash the Zoom meeting with like a bourbon or something. I just days, so I could be a pain in everybody's butt. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's everybody's doing it that way, right? I mean, we're yeah. learning how to use Zoom meetings. We're all relying on those sorts of things. I got sales guys at work right now who haven't traveled for three months. It's driving them crazy. So I've enjoyed it. I haven't had to go anywhere. So it's been kind of nice to be at home. And for a while there, I was getting home real early because we had split things up. So, um, you know, obviously it's an interesting time for everybody. You hope. Hope everybody's staying safe and healthy out there, but you make the best of it and and uh that's what that's what the is gonna do, making sure everybody is uh is fully distanced by doing it via Zoom.
1: Yep. Uh well what you got coming up on the uh, site this week, reading reaction. Yeah, so I'm gonna or be coming lo- up, maybe not this week, but coming up.
0: Yeah, so I'm gonna be looking at 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 some strengths I think I've found in Kyle Trask that port you know, I talked about his his floor. Um, you know, that that our expectation is that he's not gonna take a step back. Um, that he might not take a, I mean, he's not, you know, nobody's going to take a burrow step forward, but you know, is he going to be Jake Fromm? is he going to be, you know, better than Jake from what, what, what does his ceiling look like? And why do I think that ceiling exists? So that's one of the things I'm going to be looking at in the next week or two.
1: Awesome. 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 So be sure to look at it there at uh, readandreaction.com, and reaction.com. And you can find twill Will twill. There we go. Will on Twitter at will miles. This is he twill, twill, twill. That's, that's my a, new that's nickname now. There we go. So that's going to be your Twitter nickname, Twill.
0: <laughs> thanks, buddy. Uh, uh, I can always count on you to mispronounce a name. That's for sure.
1: <laughs> uh, Will Miles, as I said, you can find him on Twitter at Will Miles, SEC, and his site, readandreaction.com. I'm the host of Gator's Breakdown, David Water. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gator's Breakdown.